Welcome back to the Refugee Report. This is the final episode of our Syria series, and this episode's focus is on the refugee crisis itself. If you haven't already, please listen to the previous episodes on Syria so that you have the proper context. The complex conflict that has developed over the last decade has left millions in Syria exposed to violence and persecution. As a result, Syria has become the world's worst refugee crisis. Before explaining the implications of this, we would like to warn you that the information and audio presented may be disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. The severity of the Syrian refugee crisis has been largely fueled by the complexity of the conflict. Every region of the country has been somewhat affected by ISIS, Bashar al-Assad's regime, rebel fighting, and fighting in Kurdish territory. This has left a humongous swath of the population vulnerable to violence. As a result, there are approximately 13 million refugees from Syria. Over 6 million of those refugees are internally displaced in Syria. Unfortunately, it can be difficult to find places within Syria that are safe from conflict. For example, many of those displaced have gone to Rojava or Kurdish-held territory. However, due to increased Turkish aggression, even this region is not entirely safe. The lack of sanctuary within Syria has forced around 6.6 million refugees to flee the country. Many have gone to neighboring countries including Turkey, Lebanon, Jordan, and Iraq. Despite leaving, Syrian refugees face new problems. Many of these neighboring countries are less than enthusiastic about welcoming Syrians. These countries are ill-equipped to handle the influx of refugees, and international aid to neighboring countries hosting Syrians is insufficient. This has created serious issues for Syrian refugees. Many have to live in makeshift refugee camps and dig through garbage dumps to find resources. Those who can live in cities do not fare much better due to the lack of work opportunities. This is best exemplified in Jordan, where Syrian refugees are largely excluded from the jobs market. This means those fleeing conflict have little to no source of income. As a result, 78% of Syrian refugees in Jordan live below the poverty line. In recent months, this has been made even worse by the increase in unemployment from COVID-19. Many Syrians in Jordan also live in refugee camps that are in the desert and isolated from the rest of society. These camps are designed to be temporary settlements, yet some refugees have lived in them for years. Therefore, humanitarian groups have tried their best to provide aid to these camps. This aid goes towards building homes with stronger structures and towards developing an economy within the refugee camp. This is best exemplified by the Zatari camp, where there are nearly 80,000 refugees. To employ the population, stores, shops, and businesses have been created within the camp. Although efforts like these have improved the standard of life within these camps, they are still temporary settlements. This becomes especially apparent during the winter. In Lebanon, for example, many refugees live in the Bakaw Valley. Here, temperatures go below freezing and snowfall collapses the tents refugees live in. This makes the conditions within these camps incredibly inhospitable during the winter, especially for Syrian families with young children. In addition to poor conditions, the large refugee presence in the neighboring countries of Syria has placed a strain on resources such as food. As a result, there has been increased xenophobia towards Syrians. This is especially apparent in Turkey, where Syrian refugees are often targeted for speaking Arabic instead of Turkish. All of these factors have made Syrian refugees feel as though they have no choice but to go elsewhere. Therefore, many have made the treacherous trek to Europe. 
The journey from Syria to Europe is incredibly dangerous, and we want to outline a typical journey to help you understand why that is the case. Syrian refugees typically start their journey in Turkey. Many cross the Turkish border with the help of smugglers who charge high fees. Next, refugees move to the Turkish coast. Here, they hire smugglers to take them across the Aegean Sea to Greece. The seas can be incredibly treacherous, and smugglers pack tons of people into small boats to maximize their profits. This combination of factors has made the trip from Turkey to Greece very deadly. Listen to the story of Mohammed. He's a Syrian husband and father of four young children. His family hired a smuggler so that they could take a boat from Turkey to Greece. Listen to the reporter explain the family's experience. We land on the Greek island of Chios, and there they are, Muhammad and his family. They made it. I thought I was going to die, Muhammad tells me. Their cell phone videos show how packed that rubber boat was, the fear on the children's faces, and the seas got very rough later. The boat was so rough on the seas that all of your bags and all of your belongings went into the water? Everything, he says. They're exhausted, no place to go. Mohammed is not being hyperbolic in thinking that they may die. Thousands of Syrian refugees have drowned on their journey across the Aegean Sea. This has made it one of the deadliest migrant crossings in the world. Although traffic along this route has subsided since 2015, there continue to be crossings in the Aegean Sea to this day. Once Syrians arrive on one of the Greek islands, they take a ferry to the mainland and usually walk towards the northern Balkan countries. Syrians have done this with the hope of ending up in Austria, Germany, or Sweden. Before reaching these places, they first pass through countries like Albania, Macedonia, Serbia, and Hungary. They will move in caravans, hoping that with greater numbers, they will be safer and that it will be easier to cross different borders. This leg of the route is also dangerous. Many who have been in these caravans describe not having access to food or water for days. In fact, without the assistance of NGOs who have provided food and water to these caravans, the route would have been even more deadly. What makes the situation even worse is the European response to the crisis. Many of these Balkan countries have enforced hard border rules to prevent refugees from crossing their borders. This is exemplified in Macedonia, where riot police fired tear gas on a caravan of refugees camped near the border. Tensions over Europe's migrant crisis have erupted again. Riot police in the former Yugoslav Republic of Macedonia have fired tear gas and reportedly stun grenades to disperse thousands trying to enter the country from neighboring Greece. They shoot us today. They shoot us today. I can't tell you. I can't. I see it. The crowd, many of them Syrian refugees, had spent a night in the open in no man's land after Macedonia declared a state of emergency and effectively blocked its southern border to migrants. That was back in 2015 during the peak of the crisis. A group of refugees camped along the Macedonian border that were demanding entry were met with force. Also, one could find numerous makeshift tent camps just like this one throughout the Balkans and Eastern Europe during the peak of the crisis. One of the largest was in downtown Budapest, where hundreds of refugees were living in tents. This highlights how these countries are ill-equipped to handle a refugee crisis of this magnitude. Unfortunately, the international community has been slow to recognize this, and has provided an inadequate amount of assistance. 
This largely explains why Balkan countries have struggled in dealing with the influx of Syrian refugees. If a refugee can make it north through the Balkan states, they will most likely settle in a larger European country, such as Germany. Once Syrians finally resettle in their new country, they'll often face xenophobia and Islamophobia. Listen to Daniel Molitar, an official at a refugee facility in Dresden, Germany, explain how their institution has been targeted. Racist thugs and neo-Nazis have been gathering outside the building since the refugees moved in. Daniel films their gatherings. Molitor says they're trying to intimidate them. He's received death threats himself. I've had two. I've been told to hang myself or they'd like to lynch me and that they'll get me eventually. They're also threatening him on social media. If you keep on talking like that, it says, one day you'll be whisked off in a dark car and never seen again. The city of Dresden has commissioned security guards to protect the hostel. The shelter has already been attacked several times. It's been pelted with stones, bottles and stink bombs. Many people who live in the neighboring buildings don't want the refugees around. In a country where refugees are supposed to feel safe, they are instead targeted by racists. Although this is beyond despicable, one interesting thing that I found in my research is that some refugees seem unfazed by the thugs that target them. They instead point out that they still feel safer now than they did in their country of origin. I think that that should serve as an indicator as to how dangerous it is for refugees in their home country. This brings us to the end of our serious series, but before concluding, we want to highlight a key takeaway. The reason why this was done in three parts was not only because of the situation's complexity, but its magnitude. There is no denying that this is an international failure like no other in the world today. Whether it be the escalation of conflict in Syria, the degree of foreign intervention, or the treatment of refugees, the international community has faltered in meeting the demands of the crisis. Many global superpowers who have involved themselves in the Syrian civil war have been resistant or slow towards helping Syrian refugees. What further shows the degree of this disaster is that on March 15, 2011, major protests in Syria began starting Syria's Arab Spring. That means as of posting this podcast, today marks 10 years since the conflict first began. I must admit, I find this to be especially heartbreaking. What originally got me passionate about refugee issues was watching scenes of Aleppo, Syria on the nightly news in 2012 and 2013. The fact that this conflict is persisting is both shocking and appalling. However, NGOs and international groups have made important contributions in providing aid to alleviate the suffering of Syrian refugees. So we want to recommend a few organizations that you can support. The first is Doctors Without Borders. This well-known organization has provided medical care and assistance to numerous Syrian refugees fleeing conflict. Another organization is Alight. They have worked to set up sanitation centers, water resources, and food supplies for Syrians isolated by conflict. The last organization is Save the Children. They've helped to set up a stronger healthcare and educational infrastructure for children affected by the conflict in Syria, and they've helped to provide resources like food and clean water. All of these organizations will be linked in the description. Although we do recommend these organizations, we'd like to stress that it is important you do your own research before spending your money. 
Also, there are many other great organizations helping Syrians that we have not mentioned that would be worthy of your support. That concludes this episode of the Refugee Report. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend. We have also started a TikTok account in which we will be posting short informational videos about different refugee issues. So please go on TikTok and follow us at WartimeAid. We are also becoming more active on Instagram and Twitter, so make sure you follow us on those platforms at WartimeAid as well. Tune in next week to hear about the refugee crisis in Somalia. As always, thank you for listening.